0: Don Lemon's humor, John Bolton's greed, profit is not a dirty word, and recognizing all life is precious. This Irish man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show where you come for the accent, the good accent, the French accent, and every other accent that gets thrown in here, y'all, because it's just how I roll. We have a... Oh, my God, have we got a lot to talk about this week. But I want to start this show by prefacing it, I'm going to apologize for it, and I say, because legally, and this is actually true, legally, I can't be held responsible for anything I say today, nothing, Um, for all you know who have been following me on social media, and thanks for all the well wishes, I was in hospital this week for a procedure on my uh, neck and my shoulder, and I'm doped up, I'm on a lot, a lot, a lot of medication, I should be happy, happy, happy in this show, Um, procedure went well. I'm just very, very sore, very stiff. And, uh, you know, injections into bones are not a fun experience. It's not what I recommend for fun times or a vacation. Um, But, you know, hopefully this will set me on the road to getting back to 100%. But we have a lot to talk about because, oh my God, what's going on in your country. And normally when people get on high drugs, Like I'm on a lot of codeine and stuff, you know, it just, it's one of these pills that's like, Hey, this is a painkiller to help with the pain. It really doesn't. In my opinion, all it does is make you want to go asleep. So I should be happy. I should be like, yeah, man, whatever, dude, it's all good. I'm not, I'm really frustrated. And my first target, as I'm just going to go after everyone today, again, legally, I can't be responsible. And why I say legally is because when I got released from hospital, they say, hey, for the next 48 hours, you cannot legally make any documents or commitments. Why? Because your judgment might be impaired. Hence this show. So the first person I want to talk about, and this is going to be fun because I honestly cannot believe what is going on in your country. And the first person I want to talk about is Don Frickin' Lemon. So In case you uh, have been living under a rock and you haven't been on social media, Don Lemon had certain people on his show at the weekend. You know, CNN, this is the CNN host of, hey, we're not fake news, this is an apple, we're an apple, we're an apple, and no matter how many times people, you know, tell you this is banana, and they may even type it in bold capital letters, it's an apple. On CNN, Don Lemon. You know, all oh, the moderate CNN, how we're just the voice of the people. Well, he was joined by a contributor, Wajja Ali, and a never-Trump Republican, Rick Wilson. And they said, you know, oh, I'm not going to play the clip because quite honestly, I will lose my freaking mind. There is not enough codeine and Cody Power and every other pill in this world to get me mellow to listen to those idiots. But Don Lemon basically laughed at half of America. Because Rick Wilson went on a little rant where he said, and I quote, and I'll read the transcript for you. Donald Trump couldn't find Ukraine on a map if you had the letter U and a picture of an actual physical crane next to us. He knows that this is, you know, an administration defined by ignorance of the world. So that's partly him playing to their base and playing to their audience. You know, the credulous boomer rude demo that backed Donald Trump. That wants to think Donald Trump's a smart one and y'all, y'all elitists are dumb. Then Ali interjected with you will lead us with your geography and your maps and your spelling and your math and your reading. And of course, while this is a conversation's going on, Don Lemon is bent over in half. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, oh, oh yeah, that's a good one. Oh, oh yeah, you with an actual cr- oh. Yeah, I don't see the funny side. You know, What's really frustrating is this world is upside down. This world is absolutely upside down because how you would logically think things should react, people seem to do the opposite. If people call you an idiot, if people go, hey, you're dumb, you're an idiot, you're whatever, you may go, you know what? That's bull crap, I'm gonna prove him wrong. You know, if people you used to be the old days where and there were so many stories of people doing this where people would say you have no chance of doing things you have no uh, you have no chance of winning. There was countless times like I remember one of my favorite football players Michael Strahan. I remember one famous game in the playoffs the opposition coach basically said the giants have no chance the giants are crap the giants are lucky to be in the playoff and literally what he did that week was in every he got that article with those headlines and photocopied those and put a copy in everyone's locker They went out and won that game. There used to be this attitude in America where, you know what, if you say something we can't do something, I'm going to work my damnedest to prove you wrong. I'm going to work so freaking hard and I'm going to make you eat your words. Now, if you're a long-term listener on this show, you know I'm not the, hey, the, I'm not on the Trump train. I'm not like Donald Trump is awesome. I've taken the scars for when I've criticized Donald Trump. I'm not a never-Trumper, but I will call it as I see it. The same way I've done under Bush and Obama. You'll also know if you're a long-term listener, I was rather uncomfortable with the rhetoric of this president when it came to, they're the enemy of the people. You know, this fake news hashtag. You know, the old-fashioned days, and I'm, I'm talking old-fashioned days, oh, what, five, ten years ago in this world? Where you might look at Donald Trump, if you're a member of the media, and kind of go, wow. He's calling us fake news. He's calling us the enemy of the people. You know what we're going to do? We're going to ensure everything we do is airtight. We're going to give him absolutely no ammunition to play to his base, to say, look, there they are again. We're going to give him nothing. We're going to be so stringent on facts. We're going to be so stringent on everything we report. We are going to bend over backwards to be fair so that he has absolutely no ammunition to fire up his base using those words to fire up that base but instead of that logic happening what's happening is the exact opposite it's got to the exact opposite where people like me have been like i don't like when he says enemy to people and i'm rather uncomfortable with that because i believe in the constitution and the first amendment where you actually have people like me who now go you know what i think i can make a pretty damn good case But also from a business point of view. Because I want to dissect this on so many different levels. I want to share what this industry is actually like. I'm going to give you a little peek behind the curtain. How smart is this? Like, let's say everything they said is right. Let's say Donald Trump is actually the dumbest man who's ever lived. Let's say all his supporters are actually, you know, that typical demographic, you know, which is always looked down upon. You know, I love this attitude. And this is not an American thing. This is an Irish thing. This is a European thing. This is a worldwide thing. Where all these elitists sit in the city, going, Oh, you know, all those hicks that live down the country—they're just so dumb." You know what? I always get really frustrated about, and especially this is more even so in America because y'all have guns down south. You know, there's a massive famine, or let's go one step further. Let's go, you know, incredibly, you know, unrealistic. You know that great documentary called *The Walking Dead*. Where the, you know, the people come back to life and then they eat you. And you gotta survive. Unless you kill them in the head. Spoiler alert. That's how you get rid of the zombies. You know, you gotta do a headshot. They can take any uh, pain to the body. Gunshots to the body. Don't do it. You gotta take their head. You gotta get the membrane or something. You know who survives that? I can guarantee you it ain't those people in the city. It ain't your Don Lemons. It ain't all those elitists in the city. All those politicians. The people who survive is the people down south. The people in the country. And that's not a, a slam on elitist, but you know why that is? It's because usually people down south have a better chance of understanding one fundamental principle. It's called how to hunt. You know, those people who are down south who are just so dumb and so, you know, hicks and idiots and dumb and couldn't find Ukraine or up. You know one thing they can do? They can feed themselves. They know how to hunt. They know how to scavenge. You don't. If they, if it wasn't for those dumb people, guess What? You wouldn't have food on the table. If it wasn't for all those dumb people, you wouldn't have roads and bridges. If it wasn't for all those dumb people, you wouldn't have all the parts for your iPhones and all your technology. If it wasn't for all those dumb people down south and in the Midwest and in the heartland of the country, which you all so love to look down on, guess what? You wouldn't have manufacturing. You wouldn't have steel industry. You wouldn't have farming industry. But this idea, oh, well, you can't point Ukraine on a map if you had a big U and an actual physical crane on it. Oh, that's so funny. Tell me that joke again. Because the tagline is just, oh, they're all dumb. This is the industry that you want to work in. This is the industry that you want to look down upon. You know, for whatever reason, whether you like him or hate him, Donald Trump tapped into something in 2016. And instead of learning your lesson, as you're approaching another, what is it, a week to Liaba, you're sitting there kind of going, we cannot have Donald Trump. Let's just put yourself in Don Lemon's mind. You literally believe everything you say, which I would question. But again, I'll talk to you about the industry in a minute. You believe Donald Trump is the worst thing to happen to America. You literally believe, oh my God, he has to be defeated. And you want to beat him in 2020. Do you really think this attitude is the way to go? Is there anyone who's watching from the heartland that's going to watch you just laugh at Donald Trump and laugh at not just him, but anyone who voted for him because they were called credulous boomer rubes? Is there anyone, whether you're independent or moderate Republican or, you know, all those weak Mitt Romney supporter type people who's not exactly conservative? Who's not actually a bastion of, you know, whatever, constitutional principles. You know those people? Is there anyone who's going to watch this and going to go, yeah, you know what, absolutely, yeah, he's right. I'm going to go vote for someone else. I'm going to vote for Bernie Sanders. I'm going to vote for Joe Biden. Really? That's your tactic? To mock people? But as much as I want to get pissed off at Don Lemon, which I am, and I'm sick of this media... What is, how is everyone mocking him online? How is that any different to what happens on social media today? When was the last time on social media from either side you saw rational reason debate and discussion? Or is all we ever seem to do is just mock people? Oh, we got them. Oh, we showed them. We Or we just mock them. We just put them in their place. How many times do you actually see people trying to win over votes or have discussions? Because all I see what happened on CNN as deplorable and as disgusting as it was, it's just a microcosm of what happens online by both sides. How many people are actually trying to win arguments today? But we'll come back to the online second in a minute. I want to talk to you about principles. And I want to talk to you about what's going on in your country. Because this Don Lemon reaction... Just think of this from a, you know, we spoke a couple of weeks ago about finite games and infinite games. If you're playing this game of finite games of winning and uh, winning and doing anything you can, how successful is this? You know, what frustrates me is this industry is incredible. This industry is incredible in so many ways, but a lot of things people don't understand or because they haven't thought about it is the behind the scenes of the amount of pressure these people are under. And when I say pressure, it's, it's pressure to get your argument the right way. It's one thing I'm very lucky I don't have. You know, one of the things that you have is when you're on, on major network TV is you always have the ratings reports from Nielsen's. How many people are watching? And you got to tap into, Hey, what, you know, what's working? What's not? I think Bill O'Reilly is probably the more famous one of this where, you know, Bill O'Reilly would go by segment by segment. And if he started discussing something and the ratings went down, he wouldn't discuss it again. This is an open fact. You have all these minute by minute, you have so much analytics about what's happening on, on TV and radio now. It's unbelievable. You can have literally second by second breakdown. If some, if you're, if you're, uh, if your listenership spikes up or down, you can literally tell to the word of what happened, people to tune in or tune out. What did you say that, you know, got that reaction? And then you can just put it in the mental note. Hey, uh, you know, this really worked. But because you have this minute by minute analytics, you can literally go, you know what? I'm just going to say everything that really taps into people's anger. I'm not going to base it on anything I believe. That's why I said, I don't know whether Dom Devon believes it. It's one of the things I see when I look at all commentators on all sides of the aisle, kind of going, what do you actually believe? What do you believe? Am I listening to you, or am I listening to what you think everyone else wants to hear? But the second pressure a lot of people in this industry have is advertisers. Advertisers in the sense that if you say something wrong, They'll pull their advertising. You've seen many, many campaigns. You've seen people like Bill O'Reilly, Glenn Beck, Sean Hannity. All these people have been affected by it. Oh, they said something that the media matters didn't like. And then they start emailing all the their sponsors. And then, of course, you have this rigged game where, you know, I remember the the more famous one from one I know was Glenn, was Mercedes-Benz pulled all the advertising, I think, on Glenn's show. This is like when he was on Fox. They never advertised on his show. But basically, they said, no, we'll never advertise on that show. And then that build pressure when Mercedes-Benz will pull it, we're gonna pull it. Because we can't be associated with someone like Glenn Beck. Oh my god, no. Yet the media laughs at half of this half of the country, the heartland of the country. Any pressure? Nope. It is a rigged game that you have in the media. So when you're listening to people, and I say this on all sides, whether you love them or hate them, question them Everything they say, and are you, ask yourself, are they saying this because they truly believe it? Or are they saying this because they feel they have to? Or even worse, are been told to say this. But this is where I take you one step further. If you're, Don Lemon might just be caught up in this bubble of, I hate Donald Trump. Oh my God. He is so bad. I got to beat him. If you're the owner of CNN or one of the managing partners of CNN, and you do this ad a couple of years ago, this is an apple. This is an apple. This is an apple. doesn't matter what people tell you. People could tell you it's a banana. They, they could tell you it's yellow. They could put bananas in all caps, but it's still an apple. You know, because facts matter, hashtag. And you see this segment. Is there no one in there that says, you are never a guest on our show again. You're never a guest on our network again. And you, you're getting off air for a week. You need to go on vacation for a week. Just go chill out. You know, I don't know whatever it is gets you in your happy place, but you know, listening to jokes about, Oh, you and a crane on it is not funny. Is there any aspect of that? Nope. Not a damn thing. Because they're all so caught up in this circle of, we're just going to beat Donald Trump. We're going to beat Donald Trump. We're going to beat Donald Trump. And guess what? Your actions. Here's the best case scenario for your actions, CNN. Your best case scenario. This Donald Trump wins in 2020. And you know what's going to happen is when the election's over, oh, it's, it was a rig system. no. Oh, he cheated, no. Oh, he 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 was just so corrupt to use, no. You did it. You know in in sports there's, in general sports, there's a term called the assist. You know, in soccer, it's right before you score a goal, whoever gives that pass in right before you score a goal gets the assist. It's in hockey as well. You know, when, if and when Donald Trump wins, which I, large, if you're betting right now, you got to say it's highly favorable because the Democrats are just so horrifically bad. Unless Hillary gets in, because then, then, then I might have to change my opinion, guys. But in 2020, when he wins, you know who's going to get the biggest assist? The media. The media are going to get the biggest assist because of your mocking. Because of your talking down. Because of your just pure out and out hatred for 50% of this country. This is wrong. But also I want to take you one step further. I am really sick to death of the media and their attitude. You know what's really frustrating to me is nobody ever seems to want to talk principles anymore. I know I do. I know a lot of people on the blaze do. And like, luckily I'm part of a network that's growing a part of a network that I don't have those problems. I don't have to worry about ratings. I'm here to do, if I'm, I have a firm belief that if I am meant to speak to a thousand people or 10,000 people, I will do it, but I don't have the the ratings pressure because there's no investment in the show. I also don't have to worry about sponsors. I don't have to worry about, Oh, well, if I say this, will my sponsor be, I don't have any of that. I'm blessed. I'm also blessed financially that I don't need money from this show. Everything I do, I do at my own my own cost. I know people don't like this, but that's just the way my system works. I'm here as a servant. I'm actually here to help, not to get a political gain. So if I say anything, I have that reputation and that credibility, I hope, with you guys. That says, you know what, if he's saying it, he must really believe it. There is no advertising pressure on his show. But what really frustrates me is there's no actual debate anymore. There's no actual discussion anymore from all these elitists. It's their answer or no answer. There is no room for any discussion that, hey, maybe you might be wrong. Let me give you some of these examples. You know, all these, you know, CNN elitists. Oh, well, if you don't think climate change, if you don't believe in climate change, you're clearly a denier. You're ignorant. You're horrible. You're Satan's spawn. Is there another option? Is there there another option that could be? Because let's bear in mind, everything you say about climate change, it's not like the earth exists. And let's use the non-Christian way. It's not like the earth existed for six billion years. And then man created fossil fuels and man created all these, you know, fuel absorption and fuel, fuel consumption vehicles like cars. And then all of a sudden, climate changed. Climate has been changing a very long time. We've discussed this in prayer shows. Two different exe- events happen in this world that are the polar opposite of each other. One was in the 1600s in London. And we know this because there was a major crisis at the time of, based around trade. Why was there a crisis? Because the River Thames was frozen solid. And the Thames was the route up from London up through the heartland of the country, trading stuff, north to south and south to north. The other event you had was a time we're not 100% sure of, but there was a time in this world, and I'm not saying this scientists do, where the Mediterranean Ocean, yeah, it wasn't an ocean. So there you have two polar opposites, where there was water, there was none, and where there was water, it's now ice. And thick ice. You had literally people walking across the Thames. These all happened before fuel consumption. But, oh, you don't believe in climate change? Oh, what are you, a dumb rube? No. I just got questions. I just got, maybe there's something else at play, because the first car was invented by Carl Benz in 1886. In fact, the first time cars became kind of, you know, a modern-day phenomenon and accessible to the average rube, if I may use the language of the day, was 1908. Is climate change a hundred years old, or is it a lot more? Has the climate been changing a lot longer? Is it possible? Now, maybe I'm not saying climate change is wrong. I don't believe in it. But let's just, maybe they're right. Is it possible that what's going on in the world right now is something bigger than man-made climate change, that it's not all this CO2? Even though trees need CO2 to live and breed and prosper, let's just forget that fact. You know, because this is a... this is a, What I'm actually telling you right now, it's a banana. It's a banana. It's a banana. Is it possible that there's something bigger at play going on in our world? Is it possible that, you know, all the cause of all these problems is... Oh, I don't know. Let me think of something else that might not be man-made climate change. Think of some other excuse. Oh, yes. Is it possible that the magnetic poles are so out of whack... That scientists, not people like me, not dumb rubes like people like you listening that the scientists have to constantly update their global magnetic field model because they're, in, in, they're thinking that, that the poles might flip soon. This is not based on climate change. This is not based on CO2. What is actually happening right now is the poles are accelerating in movement rather rapidly. It used to be about nine miles a year they'd move. They're now up to 34 miles a year. They're now heading towards the international dateline in the eastern and towards the eastern hemisphere. What's causing this? It's CO2, John. It's got to be climate change. All these people suck. No. No. According to the scientists, the chief cause of this movement comes from the Earth's liquid iron outer core, which is also called the core field. These influences include magnetic minerals in the crust and upper mantle, um, and electric currents created by seawater moving through an ambient magnetic field. What's some of the consequences of these changing? Well, basically, you know, I'm not going to use my words. I'm going to talk about what the, the, um, the scientists say. Um, this is because a weakening magnetic field will be somewhat poorer at shielding the earth against solar winds which is the constant stream of charged particles emanating from the sun, and cosmic rays, which are blasts of radiation from deep space. Is it possible? I'm, I'm not saying I'm, this is what it is. Is it somewhat even 1% possible that what's going on in this world is not climate change, it's actually something a lot bigger? is the world going to stop you know well well we need to do climate change we need to have less co2 what we need to do is make all our cities car you know no room for cars you know you got to get on a bus you got to get on a bike is it possible that there's something bigger at play no 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 it's man-made it's man sucks but yet this is an apple this is an apple not a banana no matter what anybody says this is an apple But it also goes so much further than that. Because what you have there from all these people who are all, we're all believed in science and we're elitists and, you know, we, 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 you know, we know geography. Okay. You know geography and you know science. Yet you will then turn around on the flip of a dime and say that baby in the womb? Nah, that's not a baby. That's just a clump of cells. Yeah, the flip of the dime. You'll turn around and go, no, you know, gender and sex are, you know, are intertwined. And, you know, there's more than two genders. It's not boy and girl. It's 102 genders or 150 genders or 1 billion genders, whatever we're up to now. Whatever the magic number is now. But this is not a, this is an apple. It's not a banana. It's an apple. Everything is fluid in this world. But you're also the same people who will then turn around and go, you know what? We're so smart. We're so smart. You see, this is why you need us. We need to have politically correct speech. We need to have politically correct speech because, you see, you people, you can't be trusted to say what you think. You can't be trusted to say what you believe. You can't be trusted. We need to tell you, yeah, this is acceptable and this is not. Can you understand why there's some resentment towards you in the media? Just a smidgen. Just put yourself, I know this is really hard because you grew up in all these upbringings and now you're in this bubble of Manhattan or L.A. or D.C., Is it possible you could actually just take one step back and look at why do people hate me? Why do people call us fake news? And then start looking through the evidence. Or would you rather continuously live in this bubble that says I'm awesome and I can say whatever I want. Because I've got the elites back in me. I can say there's 102 genders and all of a sudden science even though science categorically says this is not true. Yeah, because that's, I'm on the right side. They won't argue with me. That we can just talk about climate change because we got to control people. We got to coerce people. We got to have tyranny and the control of governments. Is there any reason why the media has any credibility? Media, take a step back and look at yourself in the mirror. You're a joke. Actually, no, to say you're a joke is not even fair to a joke. You're the bad punchline of the world's worst joke. Grow up. Oh, now I've got that off my chest. I'm I'm on calm again now, America. I took another two pills during that little break. So the power is going to start kicking in and I'm going to want to go asleep. I want to go asleep. But then I started thinking, what else do I need to talk to you about? What else happened in your country this week that really upset me? Nothing, right? Nothing happened. That was, I was only just ticked off at CNN and Don Lemon because nothing, everything else that went smoothly in your country, everything else was awesome, wasn't it? No. I got some, I got plenty of other people to talk about. I'm only getting warmed up, America. You know, people say to me all the time, John, why don't you get more angry at people? Well, if you wanted an angry John, this is your show. (laughs) Because <laughs> I'm just going to go after everyone. You know, maybe I should take drugs more often. Maybe, maybe, maybe they put, maybe they put hyper and strengtheners in those drugs that made me go hyper and angry, not like mellow and drugged and like, I just want to go to sleep. Second person I want to talk about this week that I want to call out. You know, one of the things that I, some of you get very uncomfortable with and you, cause I know this because you tell me is, you don't understand why I don't call myself a capitalist. You don't understand why I'm very uneasy with certain aspects of capitalism and why I call myself a free market economics. I believe in Adam Smith's economics. And part of this, I, I, I'm the first person to say I hold my hands up to my faults. And it's something I'm trying to address is I don't think I've done a good enough job explaining free market economics to you or explaining my point of view. And the part of the reason, I'm not trying to make an excuse, but part of the reason for that is I try very hard on this show not to base things around my opinion. I have an opinion just like you guys do. What I try really hard is to take a step back and kind of go, okay, here's a problem. I have a major issue with it, but how can I talk to you about this in normally very calm, reasonable ways? and non-emotional ways and just talk to you from a principal point of view and I have an opinion and discussion with you in the sense that I'm not trying to tell you what to think. I'm trying to get you to think where you think if you agree with it if you disagree with my opinion great but to get you to think so I need to do a better job of explaining Adam Smith's economics to you and free market economics but one of the reasons I'm not a capitalist and the reason I'm starting the story is because I want to talk about something that happened that's really significant in your country this week is because what is a capitalist if you break capitalism down to its very core it's all about capital it's all about money you may make the argument that capital can be also power and influence okay well purely at its simplest form capitalism is about make making money or making power or making influence i'm not about that i'm not actually about that i'm about freedom i'm not a a money guy I have no problems with people who want to go out and make a million dollars or two million dollars or a hundred million dollars or you want to have a private jet. No problem with you whatsoever. I'm just not motivated by it. I actually have a different sense of purpose. When I tell this to people, what's so frustrating is even Americans are so ingrained in some ways to a collective mentality. I've told this to employers in America. They're like, what? You're you're not motivated? What, what are you? Are you a socialist? No. I just am motivated by different principles. There's this collective mindset that always says, oh, no, we all have to be motivated by the same thing. Oh, money, 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 money. No. There is something different. And I say this to a country, everyone always going to go, really? You're shocked by this. I guarantee you, some of you listening right now are going to go, well, what are you motivated by? I'm a Christian. Is there any aspect of the Bible that whether you've read it or not, that you kind of go, that's where they are motivated by money? No. Nope. Christianity is the exact opposite. You should be motivated by mission. Because let me give you one simple principle from my point of view. If I was motivated by money, I would have quit speaking out a long time ago. This just costs me money. I do speaking tours that cost me my own money. I don't make money from them. If I was motivated by making a profit, by making money, would that be a, I would have quit a long time ago. I'm not. I'm motivated by making a difference. I'm motivated by helping people, which I believe is a Christian principle. But also one of the things you need, and one of the reasons, when you're about capitalism and capitalism in any form, there's so many versions of capitalism which I find grotesque. I find disgusting. I find repugnant. A lot of it happens in DC, where, well, if your aim is just to make money, it doesn't matter how you make it. So you can suck off the government teeth all you want. You can get all these government contracts. You can base it on a system, which is the first economic lesson I learned in Ireland. The first economic lesson. It's not what you know, it's who you know. You see that in D.C. happening right now on both sides of the aisle. How you have all these people getting cushy contracts because of who their local politician is and their relationship with them. Whether they're a favourite constituent, whether they're a big donor, whether they're their son. It doesn't matter whether you have experience. If you're the vice president's son, well, you can go over and set up oil companies in Ukraine or invest and be on the board on them and get all these big sums. And you can go over to China. Yes, I'm talking about Hunter Biden. But also, when you have a capitalist system and it's all about making money, you're missing one of the attributes I believe should be held dear in your life. And that is honor. That is honor. That you do things that are bigger than yourself. That you are serving other people. That you're not always just out for to make a buck. Why did I spend six minutes talking to you about capitalism? Because I want to talk to you about something I find absolutely disgusting that happened in your country this week. And it is a shame and a scar on your history. And that person is John Bolton. John Bolton... Releasing his book. All these politicians. Whether you're a career lifer like Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama. Or whether you're, you know, I'm a servant. I I served at the UN and I served in administrations. John Bolton. John, let me address you personally first of all. If you have something to say, go to a microphone and say it. Your country is going up in flames right now. Say it. And then if it's significant enough to be heard and discussed, then let people on all sides discuss it and try and dissect it. But no, you didn't do that. What you did is you went and wrote a book and now you're letting your publisher use you, releasing excerpts to hawk your book. Your country is on fire and you're pretending like you have something to say and all you're letting it happen is so you can line your own pockets. Are you freaking kidding me? Your country is on the precipice. I don't know what it's on the precipice of. Everything, there's so much anger. There's so much hatred in your country right now. And yes, I know I'm adding to it today. But I'm sorry, there's just so much crap that needs to be called out. And I know it's not the job of an Irishman, but I could not stand idly by this week and not discuss it. You're so ingrained right now in getting people you're so ingrained on making a book. And John Bolton, I don't know what his lifestyle is, but I can't imagine he's struggling for money. He's not some per slub who's like, Oh my God, I got my mortgage payment on my house of $1,000 this month. I, I don't know how I'm going to pay it. That doesn't strike me as John Bolton. But you're so desperate. you All you can see is lining your own pockets. And lining the pockets of all these liberal publishers... That you're willing to just go, yeah, I got nothing to say. Just let these episodes go. And when my book tour comes, then I'll talk about it. Not at the impeachment trial. Not go to a microphone and say, hey, I've got some evidence. I need to be heard. No, no, no. That'd be too hard. That'd be too hard. No, let's just, let's just play the game. Let's just have a discussion. Let's just say nothing right now, and we'll discuss it when my book tour comes up. And in the hope that when I do all these interviews, it won't be to get justice for America. It won't be to release the evidence. It will be done in a way that I will do interviews to get oh, stir up a bit of controversy so everyone's talking about my book, and then will hopefully go buy my book. This is the problem with capitalism. And I want to be crystal clear for anyone who thinks otherwise. I'm not saying there's a government solution to this. The government has no solution to this. There is no law or regulation that needs to be passed that goes, "Hey, you, sh- you know, you should be testifying and not selling books about this." No. Do you know how the solution to this is? Do you know what the solution? Let me be perfectly blunt. Don't buy his book. Teach people like him a lesson. I don't care how much you like or how much you're interested in. Don't buy his book. These bullcrap policies and theories of well what we're going to do is we're going to just waste you know it's time to have a conversation and look each other everyone in the mirror and kind of go what's important is lining my pockets the most important opinion and is that the most important thing in my life right now or is there something bigger at play the future of america is honor importance If I may quote your founders from your founding documents, is honor sacred anymore? You know, when I look around at the politicians of today, you know, you want to know that... Let me do this. To everyone who hates America, you're going to love what I'm about to say. You know the biggest indictment of how far America has fallen? You want to look around and you want to go, how oh my God, you want to make the argument in front of a court case of why America sucks today compared to his historical events? Look at your founders and look at people today. Your founders were men who risked everything. I don't know what John Bolton's wealth is and I don't care. But you know what your founders did? they said yeah we're wealthy people everyone who signed the declaration of independence had power had money had influence had the capital of the day had name recognition they could have easily been the ones to pay the king just to shut up and go away king let it someone else if you're in poverty they can't pay the tax well let's screw, screw them that's on them just leave us alone I just want to line my own pockets. I just want more money. I just want more power. I just want more possessions and more stuff. They didn't. They risked absolutely everything for future of tomorrow. Your revolution was the exact opposite to every other revolution in the history of the world. Every other revolution, even the ones you're seeing today, are always started by the poorest people in society who have absolutely nothing to lose and everything to gain. Your revolution was started by people who had everything to lose. And a lot of people did. A lot of people lost their power. A lot of people had their land repossessed. A lot of people had their mothers, their wives and their sisters raped because they dare sign the declaration of independence. You want to indict America in 2020? Look at your leaders and look at the leaders of your past we can all play the games, the finite game of, well, John, it's election season, you can't speak out against a Republican. Bull crap. I'll speak out against anyone, and I'm sorry if that makes you uncomfortable. But I'm not playing the game of, let's just all get the Republicans to win. I've called out Republicans since before it was cool. I was calling out George Bush before it was cool. I was calling out moderate Republicans like John McCain before it became cool. I don't care about this finite game of, well, we just got to get the Republicans to win. I don't care. You have to look at yourself in the mirror. What is important? Is honor sacred? What principles are you willing to fight for? Are you only just about the finite game of the Republican Party must win? That the Democrats must lose? Are you going to actually take a step back? And go, you know what? There's something bigger at stake. There is something more important in America. And that is principles. And that is principles. That is the principles of nature's law and nature's God. The principles of acting with honor. The principles of understanding that how America has got to where it is in 2020 is because people have been willing to serve, sacrifice, and yes, lose their own personal wealth. They're called the greatest generation for a reason. What 18 or 18 year old decides, or even some people who lied about their age to get into that war, didn't think, they didn't join the greatest generation to become the greatest generation thinking, hey, I'm going to go over to Germany and fight Nazis and I'm going to get rich, baby. No, they didn't. They knew that maybe a good chunk of them who went over to fight in Nazi Germany wouldn't come back. There's a reason we don't have Nazism as a major problem right now. There's a reason Hitler didn't have a big reign in Germany. It's because of people who are willing to sacrifice. Who is willing to sacrifice today? And by the way, there are still those people who are willing to sacrifice. What amazes me about America... You want to know about the American spirit? You know why I love the American people so much? You know why I'll defend... At great personal cost. The people who live in the middle of this country. Because the history of your country is so diverse. There's so much good. But there's also those bad bits. One thing you have sucked at your whole existence. Is the way you treat the military. You have never ever ever looked after your military. Whether it was at the Revolutionary War. Whether it was after Vietnam. Or whether it's today in the VA. Yet there is countless people. Who are in the heartlands. Who are down south. You know those rubes that Don Lemon looks down on? There are those rubes who will just go, you know what? I love my country. And I will sacrifice everything I have to service. Which side are you on? And this isn't even a side issue. I am not on the side of John Bolton. You're a sick. You're just, you should be disgusted. I don't know how you look yourself in the mirror that has any credibility right now or Don Lemon but I will salute your people those men and women each and every week who are whether you like the wars or hate the wars or have no opinion on them they serve and they're willing to risk everything what do we risk? what do we risk? I think I need to uh I think I need to take some more of them pills before I get behind this microphone again, because this uh, this feels good. I'm a lot calmer now. I breathe. I, I took some morphine. You know, I'm joking. I don't have morphine, but, you know, I'm, I'm chill now. I want to talk to you about something that I don't want to lose my mind over. I want to actually talk to you about something for the first time today in a rather calm way, in a very reasoned way. And I apologize if I annoyed anyone, but I care about your country. I don't know if that comes across. Would you agree with me or disagree with me? I don't think it's as possible to look at me and kind of go, John doesn't care about America. John doesn't love America. John doesn't love freedom. I'm a passionate guy. But today, it's been a bit more emotion and less logic. But I want to talk to you about a principle today because I think it's unfair not to. There's a big virus going around the world. And I want to talk to you about economics because I need to do a better job at talking to you about the free market. There's a big virus going around in the world, and the world is starting to get a bit scared by it. It's the, it's the Corona and Lyme virus. No, I'm joking. It's it's the coronavirus. It's uh, and it's what's happening in China, and there's a lot of really scary things that are happening right now. First off, the fact that this emanates in China should scare everyone, and why I say that is because. If you read the amount of cases that are saying it's around the world, it's a couple of hundred. Ask yourself a question. If you have this virus, and it's, you know, I think in France, like in France, France oh, there's two people. Oh my God. No, no. Oh, myth. Uh, and there's like a couple of people in America. I'm not, I'm only trying to make fun of something. Uh, just trying to bring a bit of humor, but if you're looking around at the numbers, they're all in like single digits and like in a couple of hundreds. If this is such a contained small virus, obviously it's got massive potential to outbreak. Why is China like literally building hospitals in a week? There was a whistleblower that said this case is a lot more. You know, the, the amount of cases that the Chinese government is saying is lying to people. You can go yeah, YouTube that if you want or Google it. But there is a lot of fear about this. And I don't want to specifically talk to you about the coronavirus because I'm not a doctor. I don't understand the, you know, medicine and different things like this. All I know is Cody Parr is great. It makes me sleep. Um, and apparently makes me highly emotional. Um, But it's, I don't want to talk to you about that. I want to talk to you about, is this a serious problem? But I also want to use it as an economic discussion of how do you solve this? You see, there's two trains of thought around the world and we need to do a better job if you share the idea of innovation and free markets to explain this to people. You see, a lot of people automatically will go, hey, there's this problem. Where's government? Where's, what's government doing? And it's automatically a chain reaction. It's, hey, well, you know, we have this problem. You know, this happens all the time and it happens, you know, in America, it happens in Ireland, it happens around the world. We've just become so ingrained. We have this problem. What's What's the government doing? Well, why is that always the first reaction? Why isn't the first reaction going, well, what are what are we doing about it? Why is it always, there used to be an old saying and it used to annoy me as a kid. When you point the finger at someone else, there's three fingers pointing back at you. So don't point your finger at someone else about something unless you're doing three times what you're telling them to do. And it used to annoy me because, you know, it, it was just a really frustrating thing when you blame someone else. You know, who, who did it? It was them. It was their problem. And then it's like, well, did you do three times what they did? No. Well, then you're part of the problem. But why do we always look at other people? Oh, it's government's job. Oh, it's their job. They have money. It's their job. What about our job? But how do you solve these problems? How do you solve the coronavirus? How do you get to a point which is going to give you a system that's actually going to cure this? Is it going to be true government innovation? Is there going to have to be some great discussion happening in Congress or Parliament around the world? Is it going to have to happen in the United Nations where they're going to have to pass a law or a rule or regulation and go, well, you know, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do something else, and and we need to fund government taxpayers to cure us? Or is the solution private industry? Is the solution going, you know what? There's this issue in society, and it's a major issue, and it's killing people. It's killed 132 people in China so far that we need to solve it. And yes, there's a chance we may make a profit because profit, as much as I spoke in the last segment about, you know, capitalism, not being the answer. Free markets is profit is not a dirty word. We all seek to profit. You know, everyone seeks to profit in some way, shape or form. Even someone like me, who's motivated by a different mission. My profit just isn't money. My profit is serving other people. My profit hopefully will be because of what I believe will be a first ballot access to heaven. That's my that's my that's my profit, quote unquote. We're all profit in different reasons. Profit is not a dirty word. So if you're sitting there and you're sitting, hey, I'm a scientist, I have this specialty in and I apologize I'm gonna say if you're a scientist or any know anything about science, I'm gonna probably use words that are so wrong. But if you're a specialty in, you know exotic viruses or the flu virus or whatever strain this coronavirus is from and you're sitting there going to go we have this problem there's lots of people dying from this 102 people have died from china this could spread there may be an opportunity hey i know him and i know her and i know someone else they're all researchers they know what they're talking hey how about i get on the phone and i ring them and kind of go hey this is coronavirus you all want to work together and let's find a cure and let's make some money as well is that which is more likely which is more likely to solve pe- things. Even if you look at the motivations to people, because this is a story I told all the time. I think I told it this year already about the Cold War and Ronald Reagan and, and Gorbachev. If you listen to Ronald Reagan's speeches, he was like, the simple thing, how we, the one, the, the Cold War came down to one question. Who's going to out innovate the other? American people, which are free and innovating and pursuing their happiness or your people, which are second class citizens and are doing things out of fear because they don't want to go to Chernobyl or to, uh, Siberia, or they don't want their family to never be heard from again, or they don't want to face the repercussions of a government. Which is pe- person's going to do it out of fear or out of innovation? I'll always be the person who sides with the innovation. So how do you solve this virus? Get people together for innovation, for profit, or because the government told them to? Which is which is going to out innovate the other, and this is a fundamental battle we have of our day. I will always be the guy that sides on the innovation of the individual, but also I want to talk to you about profit, because there's this idea, and I get the frustration about the medical field, but I don't think it's the medicine that's the problem. I believe it's the insurance that is the problem. But if I created this coronavirus, and let's say this corona, sorry, the, the vaccine to the coronavirus. And I I risked everything. I left my job. Other people left their job. Do you have any problem with me getting rich? Do you have any problem? If let's say this coronavirus became big, a lot more of a pandemic, and like hundreds of thousands of people started having it, not hopefully touch wood, not dying, but just started to get it. And I created a vaccine that automatically cured you within a couple of hours. Is there anyone who would look at me kind of going, John and his crew ever how many was in the crew, cured the world from the coronavirus. Yeah, he should totally be a millionaire. Is there anybody who would argue against that? Is there anyone who thinks that's unfair? Because I created, it was my innovation, it was my risk-taking to leave my job or to set up my own lab to go through this process to save it. Yet, if you look around at the way the world thinks of inventors today... I am so frustrated with the reputation and the way the media and politicians betray rich people. Oh, you're not paying your fair share. Oh, you're a tax avoider. Oh, you're a millionaire and billionaire. Well, what did they do to get there? What did they do to get there? The great thing about free markets, which I am a believer in, is in a truly free market system where the people decide what they want to buy for whatever reason, Is if you're rich, if you're a millionaire and billionaire, you're not there because of government. You're there because of the people. You're there because of what we call demand. That there was so much demand for your product or your service that people wanted us. They liked what you had to offer and they bought it with their own hard-earned money. That is the beauty of free markets. There is no government involvement. There is no, well, you have to buy a certain amount from this country and we have to exchange amount of goods and government is going to do certain things. And all these free trade agreements. It's all about who you want to buy. Like let me give you a recent example. Apple. Apple had a great last quarter. Because the iPhone. Whatever it is now. iPhone 100 XE XM i um, I'm joking of course. Because there just seems to be so many brands of Apple products now. Of the same iPhone. But the latest iPhone sold more than they expected. And their, their share went up because of it. And they've invested in different things. Likewise with Microsoft. I actually read a lot of stock reports. That's how I know these things. They came out the last, last couple of days. Microsoft had record profits this year. Why? Because they invested in iCloud and iCloud became a big part of their business. It wasn't just a traditional operating system model. How do we, how did, how did this happen? Because they saw or they created demand for their product or their service and people used it and people paid for it. That is the great thing about free markets. So why should you hate people? You know, when you hate the rich, and let me talk to my friends on the left, when you look at those rich millionaires and billionaires, do you know, you're not actually hating them, you're actually hating the American people. You're hating the American people. You're not, you know, when you call out Tim Cook for earning too much money, you're not calling him out. What you're calling out is the amount of people who bought Apple products, which by the way, there's a good chance while you're calling out those millionaires and billionaires, you're probably doing it on Twitter with your iPhone. So you're actually part of the problem. If you don't like millionaires and billionaires, then guess what? Don't buy their products. Because that's how they're getting, becoming millionaires and billionaires. Now, I do see the problem, and I'm, I get frustrated, and I speak out against it a lot, where I see these millionaires and billionaires becoming millionaires and billionaires because of lobbying. You know, the likes of Facebook, where they have so much power in D.C., where their profit is not money necessarily, it's power and collusion. Where literally Facebook will write regulations in D.C., Because they know what they're talking about. They're social media. I have major problems with all these companies. You know lobbying government. You know you go. We go back to speaking about politicians. You know we're servants of the people. Bullcrap. Bullcrap. You're using DC as a platform to get a bigger name. So you can go charge through your speeches. And then all these politicians. Republicans and Democrats. Going to you know while I served. I was a servant of the people. And then you go from. DC to K Street and you become a lobbyist and you make millions upon millions upon millions. Why? Because you have access. You know how things work. That's also capitalism. Makes me sick. But I also want to talk to you about a couple of people because there was a report in the UK this week and I want to just talk to you about principles of economics and talk to you about why people paying their fair share isn't always a good thing. Because what is a, you're paying your fair share? Well, you know, what is, it's what paying your fair share is, is whatever people and society and government say is your fair share. You know, the amount of money that people pay on tax bills, like I don't know how people write these checks. The, uh, the UK had this released last week and they said, the, the 50 wealthiest individuals who pay tax in the amount of it. And the top 20 people uh, who pay tax... I'm trying to look at the exact figure. Uh The 20 top taxpayers in England paid 48 points. Um, sorry, I can't find the figure. 2.5 billion worth of tax. I know that's a small figure in America, but England's a lot smaller than you guys and has a lot less wealth in it than you guys do. But think of these figures, and this is from an English point of view, even think of this from an American point of view. The top earner was a gambling company who paid a cheque to the US government, or to the English government of 276 million pounds. Imagine having to write out a cheque for 276 million pounds. I don't care how much money you have. You could be a gazillionaire. 276 million is a lot of money. Just to say, well, this is my first year. There was a sportswear company paid 143.9 million. There was a finance company paid 116.8 million. There was uh, Sir James Dyson, you know, he does the Hoover. I'm sure he's probably one of the guys you know in England. In America, he paid 103 million pounds. Then there was an oil and gas and wine place. Top rounded out the top five: 101 million pounds. I wanted to share those five with you because they're from different industries. You've got a gambling, sportswear, finance, households, and oil. What it really frustrates me is this rhetoric against the rich people and not paying their fair share. America, England, Ireland, regardless of the country, everyone's finances is not in a good state. Very few countries, if any, have a balanced budget, let alone paying down debt. Can you imagine, if you boil this rhetoric up even more, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to these people? You're, you're paying a £100 million. Is that not deemed fair You're, you're going to equate what they earn and what they pay to someone else paying like a thousand dollars a year or two thousand dollars. If they, if they leave your country, what would the public services be like? What would your debt be like? Why would you hate people who pay so much of the tax? But this is also where I want to flip it on its head and ask you a fundamental question. These are all business people. Their idea is making profit. Whether it's true, you know, expanding their current service, whether it's innovation, whether it's R&D, they all want to make more money, right? Because they're greedy millionaires and billionaires, yeah? Can you imagine this? And I'm going to use some of these figures. The, the sportswear company who paid nearly 144 million pounds. Can you imagine if you cut his taxes and just said, you know what, let's, you know what, we're not going to be greedy. I'm going to take a hundred million off you. The other 44 you can keep. What do you think he would do with that 44 million? Do you think that would create jobs? Do you think that would, hey, I've got an extra 44 million pounds. I'm going to grow the company. I'm going to pay people more money to get them to work harder. I'm going to hire people. I'm going to expand. I'm going to develop. I'm going to see what other chances or opportunities are out there. Do you see that as a possibility? Is there a remote possibility that's what happens? Because the idea is, is it to grow the company and to grow the economy? Or is it just to keep it to a certain point? Likewise, that finance company, we're at 116.8 million. Imagine if you said to them, you know what? I'm not going to be greedy. Just give me 90 million pounds. Just let's bear that in mind. Everyone's going to say, oh, you're cutting the taxes for the rich. I'm still taking 90 million pounds off you. I'm just having to say that 26.8, you keep that. You reinvest that, especially since he's in finance. What do you think's going to happen there? He's in finance. Is he going to lend to other companies? Is he going to, you know, get other businesses off the ground? Hey, I've got an extra 26 billion, million, sorry. I'm going to give out extra loans. i are going to get other people. Hey, come, come invest with us. You know, come in, come invest. Give me your business. We'll, we'll invest it and make more money for you. Or we're going to give you a loan. This idea that the rich don't pay their fair share. Why do we have to hate them? What? No, I get it. It's not, I'm not just saying love every rich person. I want to be very crystal clear. Again, there are a lot of rich people I don't like because of lobbying and because of access and because of power and all the things they do. And they get rich because of the government, not because of innovation. But what you system do you want to fight for? But then I know what people will say. I know one of the arguments and I want to deal with it. Because people will then point out to me, well, okay, maybe you have a point on businesses. But John, what about someone like J.K. Rowling? You know, she's only she only writes books. You know, she paid $48.6 million. How much do you want to give her? Okay, well, I'll tell you what. How about we just take 30 million pounds from J.K. Rowling and let her keep 18.6? Okay, well, what's she gonna do? She what she doesn't own a business. She just writes books. Okay, you're giving her an extra 18 million pounds. Oh, great! She's gonna write another book. How does that create jobs, John? How, you know, she's not gonna invest it. You know, how does that help the economy? How does that help the small guy? I'm glad you ask. Let me highlight that though for you. Because the, the criticism for people like J.K. Rowling, or maybe some of the other businesses, if you gave them that big tax break is, well, you know what they're going to do if you want to give them that tax break? The rich people, the people at the top are just going to take that money and use it for their own wealth. They'll buy another private jet. Okay, so let's deal with that argument. Is that a problem? Why do you have a problem with people buying stuff? You know, this is the frustrating thing for me as someone who loves economics and loves discussing it. The amount of economic illiteracy out there is incredible from both sides. I don't see much economic sense coming from either side, to be honest with you, of any old grasp of how a free market works. But why do you have such a problem with people buying stuff? Because here's the thing, if you buy something, let's just use the big example. Well, look, John, if you give JK Rowling an extra 18 million pounds, she'll be high dining in fancy restaurants and she'll be eating caviar and she might buy like an expensive, let's think of the most extravagant car, a a Maserati. She might buy a Maserati for a million pounds and she might buy a private jet. I don't know how much these go for like 10 million pounds. And the rest is on food and dining and five-star hotels and all this different stuff. Okay, great. What's all that doing? Creating jobs. Because this idea of, oh, we got to hate people who buy planes and private yachts. This isn't a one-stop shop. You know, the amount of economics that needs and business that goes into creating a yacht or a private jet is incredible. Think of all the metal and the steel that you need for the actual boat and the actual plane. But then think of all the work and the manufacture that needs to go to creating the rivets to create that metal the fabrication that needs to take to mold it into that shape all the innovation you know you just don't sort of go to the plane shop and then go hey that's all bought from this plane for this shop no it's bought out through many 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 different shops whether it's the metal whether it's the rivets whether it's the wiring for the electricity whether it's all the tools whether it's the leather for the seats whether it's the cushion for the seats whether it's the carpets Whether it's the light bulbs, whether it's the plastic to cover the lights, whether it's the glass to go in the windows, whether it's all the little plastic switches you see up in the cockpit, you know, all those buttons, all the plastic that has to go on them and the metal that's inside them, or all the people who have to come together to assemble this plane, all these millionaires and billionaires mechanics, they're not millionaires and billionaires, they're people like you and me, all the electricians. All the IT people who have to come together to make this plane become a one unit so that it can go up and defy the laws of gravity and go through the air and go at like 500 miles an hour. That just doesn't happen overnight. But then look at all the jobs that are also created because of buying that private jet. You know, it's just not a case of it's one business benefits from that private jet sale. It's not. You have the salesperson who gets a commission because he sold it. You also then have, well, where do you go for a private jet? Again, I don't know, but I'm guessing there's a showroom somewhere. There's a showroom, which is a piece of property. They may own that land or they may rent that land, which means there's a landlord. They obviously need light and heat and gas and internet, you know, because they're a sales company. So all those companies benefit from it. Then obviously they need champagne, because like I'm guessing if you're going buying a private jet, you know, you're getting the VIP treatment, you're probably getting, you know, hey, would you oh you want to buy a plane here, here's a glass of champagne, sir, and or ma'am and or whatever you get, and there's probably, you know, oysters and hors d'oeuvres and whatever posh people eat, you know, to give them a real service. They gotta be bought. All the business is not just a one stop shop. It takes so much effort to build that plane, to sell that plane. But then it goes so much further than that. Because you have, let's just take the salesperson. The salesperson is not a millionaire and billionaire. JK Rowling might have an extra 10 million to spend on a plane and she may do it. But that salesperson isn't on 10 million a year. That salesperson gets a commission. What does that person do with that commission? He goes home to his partner, you know, his or her partner and goes, Hey, guess what, honey? I saw the plane today. I got, we get an extra, I don't know, 10 grand this month. Happy days. You know what? I'm going to bring you for dinner. And then that person goes for dinner and then leaves a tip. And then another person has a job because of it. This idea that we have to hate rich people is so economically illiterate. It's it's crazy. But then let me use the other example. Because what other people will do is say, well, oh, well, that rich business, John, That what they'll do is they won't spend it. They won't invest it. They'll just keep it for themselves. They'll put it in a bank or they'll put it in a stock. Okay, great. How is that helping the economy? Oh, I'm glad you asked because how do banks give out loans? If someone put in money in a bank, which by the way, these rich people don't do because are you telling me a rich person who is like worth a hundred, you know, a hundred million dollars or two hundred million dollars is going to put like an extra 10 million in the bank and earn it like what? 1% interest? They're not that stupid. They are greedy for a reason. They know how to make money, but let's just say that's the case. They get $100 million extra. And they go, I'm just going to put that in the bank for a rainy day. I'm not going to spend it. How does that help the economy? Glad you asked. How do banks finance loans? I'm not going to go into the big complicated things because it will just confuse everyone. But they have a certain amount of assets on the book. Assets are what they have, what they own. And then they can lend a certain proportion, percentage against those assets. If a person puts in $100 million into a bank or puts it into a long-term savings scheme... That bank now has an asset of hundred million dollars. It may be able to loan out eighty million of that to be secure. It might be seventy, maybe ninety, depending on the bank, depending on their situation. They have an extra set of money now to lend out to people. Then the small business owner who wants to go to you and say, Hey, I have this business idea, I need twenty grand. I have this business idea and it might cost me fifty. If they didn't have that hundred billion, they mightn't be able to, to say yes to that loan. But because that person has put money in, because he got a tax break, that bank is now able to say, yes, I can give you that loan. I can fund that loan. I can fund that loan. I can fund that loan. And all these businesses crop up. This rhetoric of rich people suck need to stop. What's so frustrating to me as someone who tries their best each week to present an argument to you in a very logic and reason and principled way is, is we, this binary choice. Oh, well, do you like the rich or do you hate the rich? Do you like the poor do you hate the poor? All these binary stuff where there's only one option. You either have to love them or hate them. How about we actually discuss principles? Hey, do you like rich people? Well, what do they do? Well, they make money. They have this business. Okay, how do they make business? If they make a true free market and they create a product, cool. Good for them. If they make a true government, I'm not a fan. Can it be both? This absolutely needs to be discussed, especially as you're seeing people like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren run and run really hard to the left where it's it's so hatred of all those people who make money, which, by the way, is so sickening because, you know, Bernie Sanders isn't cheap. Bernie Sanders isn't running around with my lifestyle. Elizabeth Warren isn't running around in my lifestyle. I can't put people through private schooling. I can't run around having their lifestyle. I don't go around when I speak. I speak for free. I pay the costs of getting to your country. I'm not going around going, well, you want to speak? You want to hear me speak? You want to hear me speak about communists and and how great Soviet Russia was? Yeah, 20 grand, baby. I'm Bernie Sanders. No. They're hypocrites. All they're doing is trying to get power. It's trying to sow the seeds of envy and division. Because ultimately what they want to say is they have something and they've taken it from you. No, they haven't. If you have a free market system, you have bought a product or service from them and they have got rich because of it. That's what's happened. But also what they have done then is create jobs. That is the idea of a free market economy. And then we all benefit from it. And then all those people who now have jobs or yes, they're paying taxes, but they're spending their money. They're spending it maybe not in extravagant ways like buying private jets, but they're spending it in creating jobs because they're going to, to Walmart buying shopping. They're going to like the seat, C- the cinema. They're going to the local bar buying food and drink. They're maybe buying a house, buying or renting a house. They're paying light and heat. They're paying insurance. They're creating all those jobs. We're all job creators. Some just do a hell of a lot more on a bigger scale than we do. But we are all key parts to it. The government doesn't create jobs. All the government does is not create, it takes. Because anything the government does at first must take from you through taxation. Whether you believe in it or not, it takes to give. Which system do you want to live under? We need to address these hate and this monologue. We need to address everyone like Bernie Sanders in the media who wants to hate rich people. Let's base it on principles and let's have these discussions. Is there such thing as getting rich been a bad thing? Sure. But also, if you create something like creating the cure to the coronavirus, is there anyone, I don't know how, care how hard left you are, that would say, yeah, they don't deserve to be rich. They took a chance. They pursued their happiness. All these principles come back down to your founding principles. The idea of why America changed and advanced the world so much that took a 5,000-year leap when no other country ever did was because you had a God-given right to pursue your happiness, but also, when you pursued it, if you were successful, to keep the fruits of your own labor. Eastern. We're on all platforms. Look for Freedom's Disciple or Jonathan Dunn. Also, if I could ask you a favor, if you listen on Apple, or even if you don't, please leave us a rating and review. Especially the reviews, it helps the algorithm on Apple, and iTunes is our biggest platform by a mile, so it helps new people find this show, and if you listen, please share it with your family and your friends. I want to finish up today's show by talking to you about something that's going to annoy a few people. Part of the problem in america has this problem and the world has this problem is politics is so much front and center and we all want to make political points whether they're you know vote for the republicans vote for the democrats or you know the left right talking points and we all seek to make a point point. and it's really frustrating to someone like me i want to give you a prime example of what happened this week and i want to ask you a question is life precious Is life precious? Is life something we should celebrate? Does everyone have a potential for greatness? And do we all have a potential to impact many different people on many different levels? And should that be celebrated? The reason I ask this is because I believe we should. I believe... And this is me teaching you, know, I'm going to spread the Jesus for a minute, if I may. I believe whether you're a liberal or a Democrat or black or white, gay or straight, we're all sons of God. We're all created on his image. And some of us will impact more than others. It's not a competition. You know, if you look at in our industry, we're all, all the hosts, just even on the hosts and the blaze, we're all different. We're all unique and we all have our different audiences. You know, people who listen to me, you know, may listen to other people on the blaze. There's so much diverseness on our platform, which is amazing. You know, you have people like Glenn, you have people like Pat, people like Stu with his new stow, people like Mark Levine, Steven Crowder, you know, there's all different stuff. Phil Robertson. There's, you just put all those people together and there's a major diverse of opinion. We all impact people in different ways. We we'll all make people feel different things. And if all of us let's say were to die, obviously the mourning would be at different levels to different things. And it shouldn't be a case of, well, those who would mourn my death would be should be the exact same or in 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 the line with what people would mourn for Glenn. Glenn's been a lot more successful. Glenn has a lot more listeners. Glenn created a company. I didn't. I share this and asked these questions because I saw. So many posts on social media this week, which kind of upset me. And I want to talk to you about them. Last weekend, a tragedy happened in America. Tragedy happened in Kobe Bryant lost his life. And he lost his life with several other people in a helicopter crash. And this is tragic. And as you can imagine, a lot of people were very sympathetic to it. You know, whether you love him or hate him, whether you think he's a good guy or a bad guy, or whether you're a Lakers fan or not, can we all agree on one simple principle? That his death is something that should be mourned. That it's truly a, a sad occasion. That it's, it's sad. That, you know, a wife has lost her husband. That kids have lost their father. That people have maybe lost a brother or sister or an uncle or a cousin. That the Lakers organization in Los Angeles lost one of its stars. And that many people lost a friend. Can we just stand back and go, that is sad. And just unite as people. I saw so many glowing tributes to Kobe Bryant. Who... I'm not the biggest basketball fan, so take this opinion with a pinch of salt. You're not here for the sports analysis, unless it's the Yankees. Then I'm a, then you're, then I'm your guy. No, he was a super player. You know, I've, I'm a Knicks fan, so, you know, I don't know what good ba- basketball is. I know what losing looks like a loss. But when it comes to basketball, I, you know, I can, I appreciate it. I appreciate the sport. I think it's an incredible sport. I love going to games. Whenever I'm stateside, I you know, if I can I'll go to a game. But what was the reaction him? All the outpouring of support. But then as I saw social media, social media changed. And then we had all these people posting about, you know, to the to the other people on the airplane who died who don't get any immediate attention, I mourn your death. And then I saw some articles going, from generals going, I don't mourn Kobe's death. I'm more interested in mourning the death of someone who served. And this makes me uncomfortable, and I want to discuss it with you for a minute. Why is everything in this world seemingly a binary choice today? That we have to equate who we mourn and who we don't. Well, we we mourn Kobe, but we also mourn the people who died. Or I don't want to mourn Kobe, I want to mourn a serviceman. Or a woman who died. Can we not mourn both? Can we not understand that people in this world will have more mourning than others? This is a, hu- a human thing. It's not a competition. You know, one of the frustrating things, and this is nothing to do with Kobe, my mother works in the funeral industry. And she's a funeral director. And one of the things people will always say, you know, when she says it as well, is when, you know, you see someone die and she has to, part of the thing she does, she goes to the church, especially if it's, you know, in a church, um, in the local church, she'll go with the service um, and escort them. It's part of the service that they offer, that you continuously see the one person and they're there for support. And if you need anything on your day, you need that they're there. But one of the things that's always said about a funeral is, well, what's the size of the crowd? Was it a big funeral? Was it a small funeral? Was it an intimate funeral? And it's almost some type of indictment, or positive, or negative on what that person's life is like. How many people were at the funeral? Well, if it was a big funeral, they were clearly well loved, maybe. Or if it was a small funeral, the that person must have been a bad, must have been a bad person, or they must have known anybody, must have impacted people's lives. Is this what we judge people on? Is this what we judge it on? We have different impacts on people's lives. I know this is someone who is blessed to do what I do every week. If I die tomorrow, I can tell you this, my Irish funeral would be tiny. In fact, the, the people who would turn up to my Irish funeral wouldn't be there to mourn me. They'd be there to more comfort my mother than to mourn me. And that's okay. But is it some type of competition that my life means less than if someone else died? Or my life means more? We all impact people in different ways. Some of us are blessed with loads of friends. We all know those people who have friends everywhere. Other people don't. Should we mourn those lives differently? But also on the point of view of, why is it that we always have to have this competition? Whether you like it or not, when you're in this industry or even in the sports industry, it's about creating moments. It's about making you feel something. You know, this industry that I work in, you know, it's the key to being successful or unsuccessful is what do you feel something when you're talking about passionate, you know, I'm trying to make you feel something. I'm not saying this is, you know, I'm better than I'm trying to make you feel something. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to make you feel a bit of love and a bit of pride in your nation and your founding principles. I'm trying to encourage a bit of passion for returning to those principles. We're all human emotion based creatures. Yes, logic and reason have their place, but we're all emotionally based creatures. People have to be sold stuff by passion. You know, if I came before you today and I kind of went, you know, I did that monologue and I did it in the most monotone voice and I said Don Lemon was a piece of crap and Don Lemon made this joke about Trump supporters and Don Lemon should be ashamed. you going to like that you're going to listen to that show and that boring monologue. No, I've I'm blessed I have the accent, so even a monologue, you know, bo- I've got that advantage. I joke, I jest. Or do you want someone who, you know, is lively, who has passion, who's like trying to, you know, I'm really encouraged by this. That's what we want. Likewise with sports, it's the exact same thing. We all remember in that sports, you know, those magic moments where, oh my god, do you remember the time Kobe got 82 Or do you remember someone hitting that home run? I'll give you one from the Giants because it's Super Bowl week. Do you remember that time Eli Manning threw that ball against the Patriots and David Tyree catched that impossible catch? We all have that. David Tyree is remembered in sports terms and football terms for nothing other than that catch. That's it. We're all after that seek of emotion and we remember people. So, of course, we're going to have memories and tributes of someone like Kobe who's impacted an area, whether you like him or hate him, whether you like LA or hate LA, whether you love the Akers or hate the Lakers. He was Mr. Laker for a long period of time. He is a borderline sports god in that area. So it's natural people are going to come out and go, oh my God, I can't believe it. It's also natural that people are going to be shocked. They hear you see a 42-year-old man die. By most accounts, it's way too early. Is that okay? But why do we have to have this competition? Well, I also mourn the people, you know, not him, but all the other people who died with no fanfare. Some people won't have fanfare. That's okay. It's not a competition. But we can mourn everyone. But likewise, why is it a competition with the serviceman and woman? There are very few people who love your military the way I do. This is not me bragging about how great I am. It's about bragging how great they are. I will salute them each and every day. There is no one more thankful for the American military than me. I've spoken about this so many times in the past. If it wasn't for the American military right now, I'd be speaking German. And if you're a long-term listener, you know I have enough problems speaking English. Can you imagine the Irish accent trying to speak German? Yeah, 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 yeah doesn't work it ain't working I don't do a German accent I can do a French French <laughs> yeah no it sounds so cold I can't pull that off it's, have you seen German ever written it, it, it's like gobbledygook and I'm not been disrespectful to the German people Irish is the exact same in my eyes all these languages I read them I'm kind of going I haven't got a freaking clue what they're trying to say English I can understand so there's no one who loves the military more than I do. I respect them. But can we not, mo- it's not a competition. Well, we should mourn the, 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 the person who serves overseas who died and not Kobe. Can we mourn both? Because is life precious? Is life fundamentally precious? This is a question we need to ask as society today. Because life is under attack all, in all courts we're seeing this attitude where if you don't have the right beliefs, your life doesn't count as much. You see this constantly. If you don't vote the right way, your life doesn't mean as much. If you don't come from the right class, your life doesn't mean as much. If you don't come from the right background, don't have the right race, don't have the right sexuality, don't have the right political opinion, don't believe the right things about climate change, your life doesn't mean as much. Do we fundamentally stand before everyone and go, all life, left, right, right life, black life, white life, gay life, straight life, transgender life, whatever it is, that all life is fundamentally precious. It is a gift and that we should be encouraging everyone to live live life to their fullest, to pursue their God-given right of happiness. We need to answer these questions because history is not going to judge us well right now. The way we demean parts of life. The way we dismiss parts of life. The way we don't celebrate lives. If you're a Kobe Bryant fan, I mourn with you. I celebrate his life with you as probably one of the, what, top 5, 10 basketball players of all time. Realistically. Depending on who you want to put ahead of him. For me, no one was better and I grew up in this era no one's better than Jordan no one changed the sport more than Jordan that isn't even a conversation I'm sorry of the greatest of all time it's Jordan thanks sir there's no discussion you know other players might have been better but they didn't impact the game the way MJ did he was fantastic I grew up in that era loving Chicago Bulls supporting the Chicago Bulls but can we stand together and go life is precious that we should mourn all life whether it's in the under attack in the womb, whether it's under attack at the late stages of life, whether it's under attack where you see all these stories in places like Europe where people are going, you know what, you don't have a quality of life Yeah, you deserve to die. Life is a fundamental. We can disagree over tax policy. We can disagree over Donald Trump. We can disagree over CNN and Don Lemon. But can we find common ground, left and right, top and bottom, rich and poor? All life is precious. All life. And that we must stand together for life. Because I want to bring this full circle and just say, call out one last person. Because this show I've called out a lot of people. I want to call out one last person. Actually, this is not a person. This is an organization. Fox Sports. Shame on you. I support the free market. But what I get really frustrated with is the political agenda. About how all these corporations, oh, we're so, we're so hip, we're so cool, we're down with the culture. And how we should be tolerant of other people's views. And how we're just so in line with America. You'll have ads about drag queens and everyone else. Okay, cool, great, welcome. But when it comes to a 30 second spot on Super Bowl Sunday for support, survivors of abortion, To raise their plate? Nah, we can't have that. that. That'll just be a downer on Super Bowl. Is life precious? Is life worth fighting for? Fox Sports said no. It just demeaned them. It just went, nah, we don't want your money. Nope, we don't want any of that. These are kids and now adults who survived abortion. And their life has meaning. You know, I love all these corporations who want to go, Oh, John, you know, people like you are the problem. You're so bigoted. You're so hated. That, you know, if someone is questioning or transitioning, you don't recognize them. You don't love them. Yeah, I do. I may not agree with their choice or their lifestyle, but I will love them. I will be the first one to say their life has meaning. Because it's people like you on the opposite side who won't stand with people like me when we come together and go, You know what? as a general idea let's not throw gay people off buildings i'd stand with you and go let's not do that we may disagree on gay marriage and the role of government and stuff but as that general rule on uh, itself we can all unite they don't want that but yet i'm the intolerant one yet you won't even recognize these people who have had such a horrific upbringing who had a really bad start in life, but are looking for recognition and going, I'm still here. My life has purpose. My life has meaning. My life needs to be recognized. Shame on you, Fox Sports. Shame on you. You have a right to take their business or not take their business. I will defend your right to do it. But that doesn't mean you get to avoid being called out. Guys and girls... I've been talking to you a lot this year about what we gotta do going forward. We gotta start planting seeds. And you can talk about impeachment. I've, you may notice that a lot of the talk I have been doing in the show hasn't even touched your impeachment. I don't care. I'm not paying attention to it. I'm not paying attention to that circus. What do you want to focus on in your life? This is questions you have to ask yourself. What's important to you? What do you want to focus on? What's really important for you, your kids and your grandkids? Is the constitution important? Is freedom important? Is nature's law and nature's God important? If it is, then what we're going to do is we're going to keep fighting on this show. We're going to keep growing, keep sharing this message. Because there are reasons America is exceptional. It isn't because of Fox Sports. It isn't because of Don Lemon. It isn't because of Donald Trump. It isn't because of John Bolton. In many ways, it's because in spite of all of those. America is great because Americans are good. America is exceptional because of nature's law and nature's God. The God-given right to pursue your happiness and to keep the fruits of your labor. The idea that nature's law and nature's God reign supreme and they will reign supreme again. We are in troubling times. But just because we're in troubling times... Remember, it is always darkest before the dawn. Our future can and will be bright if we work towards it, if we are willing to work for it, if we're willing to sacrifice for it. As bad as things may be right now, as frustrating as the media is, as frustrating as DC is, we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity because tomorrow brings a new dawn. Tomorrow brings a new day. And with that new dawn, a new day becomes new opportunities. And we must fight for them. We must start striving for them. We must seek a new future with a brighter tomorrow. Based around the principles of freedom for everyone. I finish this show the way we always do by saluting your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel and your vets. And most importantly I salute you the American people. Never ever forget America is great because Americans are good. America is great because Americans are good. You're not great because of the media or because of DC or because of Congress. You're great because of each and every one of you. You won the Cold War. Never, ever, ever, ever forget that. And you will win this war. You will win this battle because of each and every one of you. Until next Saturday at 12 noon, you all have a beautiful and blessed week. God bless America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network.